wow, uh, hi, <laughs> it's been a very, very long time since my last episode. Um, it was a mid-year in review, I think I did. Yeah, my mid-year review published in July 2019. That is crazy. And uh, and I am back and I will be back with some regularity. Um, I'll explain in the future why I took such a long time off. Um, but for now, I I don't want this to be a traditional year in review, but I do want to document what it was like bootstrapping my business through a pandemic um, because 2020 turned out to be the most testing and lonely experience I faced as a solo founder yet. So let's talk about expectation versus reality. When this all kicked off early 2020, my expectations of the impact that it would have on my business were very grim. Um, I think that a side effect of working in insurance is that you adopt a very risk-averse mindset. So I actually forecasted that I could lose 75% of my customer base that I'd spent years building and I would be able to scrape by with the aim of getting out of this with a business and then going again, starting over. And if I'm being honest, I did feel invested enough in what it is that I'm trying to achieve for that to not be the worst outcome. In the beginning, those expectations seemed plausible. Um, a lot of small businesses were encouraged to cut costs and prepare for a worst case scenario. So that meant that a lot of panicked freelancers were reviewing their monthly outgoings. And I was flooded with cancellation requests. And I fulfilled them all. I have never made customers jump through hoops to cancel their insurance. And I wasn't about to start. Cancellations at the best of time feel like a dagger to the heart. I think that you'd be hard pressed to find a founder whose mood isn't affected by them. And I think that cancellations carry an extra sting when bootstrapping because you don't have external funds to fall back on. Your cash flow is everything. And when those cancellations all come at once and it's how you're starting your day every day, I honestly, I have no words. It's brutal. You're beginning every morning having to climb out of a mental and financial hole. On top of this, there were some freelancers who didn't cancel their policy, just their direct debit. So this meant that they still had an active policy that needed to be paid for. And with most of these freelancers becoming difficult to reach, that cost fell to me. Now, as the year went on and we did all start to adapt to, is she going to say it? Yep, she's going to say it. The new normal. The number of cancellations reduced. Uh, churn did remain high throughout the year. My churn was up 12%, but the frequency certainly steadied. I must say, it did feel like I was signing up new customers at the same rate that I was losing existing ones, meaning the business wasn't growing. It was just kind of stagnating. But considering I had originally anticipated losing most of my customers and starting over, the idea of maintaining the business wasn't terrible. And compared to how some other businesses would be impacted, of course, I was one of the lucky ones. 
It turns out, though, that the feelings you experience during a pandemic are misleading. And once I'd actually got the courage to look at the numbers, which only happened very recently, the reality was that the business did grow, just not by much and nowhere near the growth that I'd had the year before. One thing I'd say about removing friction with cancellations, especially in unique circumstances like a pandemic, is that it's likely your customers will return if their circumstances change. And that's something that I learned uh, very quickly and it happened a lot throughout the year. Many of the people who understandably cancelled in a panic came back when work picked up or when they realised their business wasn't affected as badly as they feared. Let's talk about how keeping freelancers in business was actually more important than ever. I think that anybody who knows me can see how passionate I am about business insurance. (laughs) I mean, how is helping freelancers stand up to unreasonable clients not something to get excited about? It's fantastic. Um, And with the number of freelancers who aren't insured or don't understand their insurance, I'm on a mission I am on a mission to educate and help them. And that duty remained the same throughout the pandemic. In fact, we actually saw a rise in payment disputes due to COVID-related budget cuts. So being insured was more important than ever. However, my enjoyment of my job eh, on a day-to-day basis certainly did falter. And, And I found myself waking up on Monday with dread, which I'd never experienced before in this job. Um, You know, dread around what kind of week is this going to be? The focus shifted from how many freelancers can we help to how many cancellations are we going to get? The thing is, it is so easy to be motivated when customers are happy, when you're making money, when the business is growing. That That is the easy part. Anybody can thrive in that situation, even if you've not emotionally bought into the company mission. But the hard part is remaining motivated when churn is up and sign-ups are down and there's nothing to suggest that this is temporary. I mentioned earlier the importance of bootstrapped businesses making money due to not being subsidised by investors. But... um, I've never been driven financially and it is this bigger goal of helping to keep freelancers in business that drives me each day and it became clear during the Covid outbreak that this goal remains the same whether I have 200 customers or 20,000 customers and the reason that I mentioned this is because I don't think I would have got I don't think I would have had the mental capacity to last the year if I wasn't bought into what with Jack is trying to achieve. If I'd started this business purely because I'd identified it as a good industry and demographic to profit from, and and by the way, spoiler alert, it isn't, I think that that would have made a difficult year even more challenging. When the chips are down and the numbers are heading in the opposite direction of where you need them to go, It will make a difference. Believing, believing that the product you are offering impacts a person's life in a better way. And that belief kept me going. 
Despite the yo-yo in numbers with sign-ups and churn, it, it actually was business as usual and the year was busy with claims coming through. Clients were still pointing their finger at freelancers and blaming them for all sorts, usually for the client's shortcomings. And freelancers were still accidentally breaking equipment. Um, but there was a huge increase in customer support and for a big chunk of last year, my full-time role was in customer service. An abundance of freelancers were getting in touch to ask how their insurance would help them through coronavirus. Generally, these questions fell into two categories. One, my project's been cancelled. Will my insurance help me bridge the gap financially? And two, if I get ill, will my insurance help me pay my bills? So for those that don't know, the type of insurance I arrange is professional indemnity. And it is a really complex product, um, it is, but the simplest explanation is that it provides you with legal help if a client threatens to sue you or tries to recover compensation. Like mostly this is due to work being delivered late or work not being to the standard the client expects. It doesn't act like a savings pot for cancelled work. It doesn't protect your income if you're ill. There is insurance for that, but it isn't what we do yet. Ultimately, professional indemnity is a buffer for mistakes you make in your work or, more commonly, problem clients. So it really became clear that a lot of people didn't know what the insurance they bought actually does. Now, I've always known that this is a problem and it's something that I've tried tackling with my Unsure Insure series and Why Do I Need Insurance Guide that I just launched a few weeks back. But the surging customer support shone the spotlight on this issue even more. This isn't the freelancer's fault. It is my job to explain the problem insurance helps you solve. And it's something I clearly need to improve on. I think we all do in this industry. Um, and this is actually a more interesting and, in my opinion, important piece of the puzzle to crack than, say, improving the customer journey. Like, onboarding is still really important to me, but what's the point in getting more customers if they don't understand what they've bought? This will only lead to unhappy customers and churn. So, as much as it sucked to say, no, this insurance product isn't going to help you in those scenarios. I used this as an opportunity to educate them about what their insurance does and when we can help them. For an audience that's usually disengaged due to the, the subject matter, absolutely nothing to do with the audience itself, it was actually the perfect chance to open that dialogue. And I also highlighted features that could assist them through the pandemic, like the the confidential counselling helpline, the debt recovery service or the legal advice helpline. I think that difficult situations can emphasise areas that need improved and it definitely showed me that my main focus should be our positioning, which is something that I've been tweaking over the years. And I actually spent a lot of last year learning more about the Jobs To Be Done framework because of this. Um, and I'm, I'm hoping that this framework helps me to unlock the, the missing piece of the puzzle. And by the way, just as a wee side note, if the Jobs To Be Done framework interests you, 
I recommend, I did a lot of reading on it and I recommend reading The Jobs to Be Done Playbook by Jim Kalbach. I think that's how you say his surname. It is the best business book that I read last year. You know that saying, a problem shared is a problem halved? Um, well, this is actually the first time that I'm sharing my experience navigating the business through a pandemic as a solo founder. And the truth is that I I felt like I couldn't really be honest with how I was feeling. Even when everything is going smoothly, working in financial services means customers need reassurance that your business will still be here in a year. You know, they, they need a sense of stability using a financial services company that they don't need from other businesses. For example, if the coffee shop that you order your flat white from when walking the dog closes, you'll just replace it with another cafe that's on the same route. But when people buy into a financial services company, a big factor in their choice is trust. So I felt that I had to project a facade of perfection because of the industry that I work in. I I watched my friends who are independent sellers or run bricks and mortar stores open up about the impact the outbreak was having on their livelihood. And their authenticity encouraged people to support them by buying gift cards or sharing their work. But I never felt like I could show the same vulnerability. It's only now that we are almost a year into this, which is kind of nuts, that it it feels safe to talk about my experience because whilst we're not completely out of the woods yet, I know my business is okay. We survived. And whether rightly or wrongly, I felt like I couldn't plant any seed of doubt about the well-being of the business when in the thick of it. I think that being bootstrapped also factored into this hesitancy um, because every single one of my competitors is VC-backed. And whilst I have talked in the past about how I'm not convinced VC is the best model for insurance, I did wonder if, under these circumstances, you know, a global outbreak, customers actually felt more secure placing their business with funded companies. I did always want to reflect openly about this experience and I have been making notes on my thoughts and feelings throughout the year, um, but perhaps cowardly it is just easier to share them now that it's clear things will turn out okay. But um, of course, rewinding to March, I didn't know that that would be the case. I just knew that I just knew that I was losing a lot of customers whilst watching inquiries dry up and had no indication of how long this unsustainable pattern would last. Collectively, we were facing a problem that impacted us all. So it actually makes little sense that I felt so isolated. But I realised that this stemmed from the fact that as a solo founder, I was carrying the burden alone. There was nobody that I could share the load with. The founder journey is very long and difficult as it is, and it it definitely helps to have somebody to share that load with. By the end of the year, um, you know, weathering the storm alone had left me dangerously close to burnout. Let's talk about something positive though. Have I mentioned that I, I love bootstrapping? Um, I've mentioned, I've talked about a few things 
um, about bootstrapping that might not seem positive. Like there is more pressure on cash flow. Maybe customers feel more secure under these circumstances with funded companies. But despite some initial anxiety, uh, which was compounded by not being eligible for any government support, this year, or this experience rather, actually emphasised my love of bootstrapping. Now, I've always felt pride in being bootstrapped. I've talked in the past about how I feel aligned with the ethos of bootstrapping. And this was one situation where it felt beneficial to be in control of my business, to be profitable, to not be dependent on external money, to not be in debt, to be a self-sufficient business, which, as you know, isn't always the model of funded companies. The thing about bootstrapping is that you have to be smart with your money. You have to be. You can't be extravagant and spend money on things that you don't need. Um, Bootstrapping really forces you to run a tight ship from day one. So I felt I was in as strong a position as I could possibly be to deal with things because my overheads were low and I was profitable. Now, admittedly, I'm not Uh, too familiar with how the year looked for funded companies. I have seen a few um, fire sales, but I'd imagine that if you were dependent on raising funds to stretch your runway, then the pandemic might have made that more challenging. So let's talk about how the business has changed. Um, Aside from the obvious stuff that's affected us all, like working from home, running an insurance business presented other challenges. For example, the protocol for dealing with Contents claims had to be changed um, because prior to COVID, we'd need accidental damage claims to be accompanied with a damage report. But with everywhere being closed and shipping services taking longer, we had to offer people alternative solutions to resolve things quicker. There was, like I mentioned, a surge in payment disputes. Um, COVID-related budget cuts led to clients refusing to pay freelancers for the work they'd done or even requesting refunds. So we really doubled down on talking about how to handle these situations if they did arise and reminding people of the help their insurance can offer. And I mentioned earlier about customers cancelling their direct debits but not their policies. Oh my goodness, right, there was a massive increase in credit control issues, which is probably... No, 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 no. Definitely my least favourite part of running a business is credit control. Um, And there was a massive increase due to COVID. Um, I was left to fund a lot of premiums from customers who, I I don't know, just disappeared. Um, And it's really hurtful when this happens, given how straightforward we make cancelling and how empathetic we try to be, given the circumstances. um, Because... You know, it's the actions of one small business negatively impacting another small business when we should all be in this together. But let's not talk about that. Let's move on. Um, And I just want to finish things by highlighting the small wins that kept me sane throughout the year. Now, these aren't business related, um, but the first one was weightlifting. I mean, this is just, this is number one on the list of daily activities that keep me going. It's really the only hour of the day that I'm not at my computer or thinking about work. And I have always loved training. I've been weightlifting for about 10 years now, but 2020 highlighted just how important it is to my mental health. 
the second thing is football. I don't play football, but I, I, I love watching it, and it definitely helps that my team's having a very good season. Um, but it's been almost a year since I attended a game. It was March. I went to a Europa League game. And I really, really miss it. Um, but having one or two matches a week to watch just gives me something to look forward to. The third thing is cycling. Um, gosh, these are all very sporty so far. So about five years ago, I won a bike in a competition and it spent years gathering dust. Um, it's pink. And I'm not really a pink kind of, of woman. But one upside of the essential travel rule was the roads were dead. So it allowed me to build my confidence cycling and and now I love it. And the last thing is film photography, which is another hobby that I've been wanting to do for years. But 2020 was the year that I finally learned to shoot film. Badly. Yeah, I'd say that only two exposures and a roll of film turn out decent. But you've got to start somewhere. And that was my year. I record this podcast because I find it really therapeutic. And I kind of use it as a journal, but I I hope you found uh, my transparency valuable. You know, maybe you could resonate with some of what I talked about in this episode. And if that's the case, then reach out. I'm I am Ashley on Twitter. I do intend to get back to this podcast with some regularity. Um, I'm not entirely sure if that means every couple of weeks or once a month, but you will be hearing more of me going forward so make sure you subscribe and thank you so much for listening